Lord God, we are so grateful uh, for this place to come and, and to worship you. And you call us not only to worship, but you made us to worship. And may we hear not only uh, the songs we sing, but the words that were spoken. And may they cut deep in our heart. And as Paul wrote later in that letter to Timothy, uh, Lord, all scripture uh, is breathed by you and profitable for us. And may we believe and hold on to that. In Jesus' name, amen. So um, years and years ago, when I, have a, I moved to this place with Ruth and our four children, our youngest was four, he's now 27. So that's how many years and years ago I'm talking about, okay. Sometime after that, I'm not real sure exactly when, but we, had, we were worshiping in a little place. We were sent here to start a new congregation. You are the fruit of that um, beginning. And we had a little coffee shop, nothing like they have now. Had a little art gallery, nothing like some of the beautiful art galleries, but that's what we did during the week. And I get a phone call from my oldest from high school, and she called me and said, Dad, um, I left a book, and I need it. Can you bring it? I said, well, um, I'm in the middle of something, and uh, maybe at lunchtime, if I can find the time, um, I will. In which she replied. She said, Dad, it's really important. And all you do all day is drink coffee and talk to Stu and read your Bible. <laughs> Stu was our student minister. And that might be a bit what he told him all I did all day. But she was not too far off. Um, I understand her. Um, she was very frustrated. She had left her book. And it was important. And she was at that point in her life, I think we've all been there, where we, we don't like to take blame for our mistakes. We like to blame others. Anybody ever been there? Um, anyway, um, I had, some of those details might be a little bit off, um, but her remark wasn't because we've laughed about that throughout our family's life together. Uh, you see, um, I am a person who is still in the process or journey of learning how to faithfully follow Jesus and love his people. I find engaging the scriptures and talking it out with others, and yes, a good cup of coffee along with it, um, is my best teacher. That's how I tend to learn the best. I know for some of you, you love to self-study and, and read, and I, oh, if I had that gift. Um, spending time and journaling and just hearing the Lord. But for me, um, I need other believers pressing into my life um, and I find that in that pressing in, wisdom comes from learning from others. That's, that's just what I've learned. Even my children, um, especially my children. So last Tuesday, um, I left a, a 6 a.m. Bible study, which I've been a part of for a long time. I'm one of the younger ones in that Bible study. Actually, Dan was the youngest until we had a younger person come. A lot of wisdom in that group, and we've been doing this for the 20-plus years. And I have another group, a smaller group, that I've been, been working with, and we've been meeting on one day. We had to shift to Tuesday. So I left that Bible study um, where we drink coffee and pray for one another to another one where we drink coffee and pray for one another. But at this particular one, we've been doing what we call a catechism, the catechism we have, 
And we've been looking at a question, and then underneath it, there's scripture references. And underneath the, the scripture references usually have an Old Testament, a psalm, an epistle, and a gospel. Does that sound familiar? And that's just the way they formed it. On this particular day, last Tuesday, the question was this. How does Holy Scripture view the church? That's the question. How does Holy Scripture view the church? If you want to know, this question is number 93, by the way. Um, And this is the answer. And this is the message I have for today. The Scripture teaches me, us, to view the church as God's family, as the body and bride of Christ, and as a temple where God in Christ dwells by his spirit. All right, let me, let me say that again. The scripture teaches us, me, to view the church as God's family, as a body and bride of Christ, and as a temple where God in Christ dwells by his spirit. So I had been working on 2 Timothy, and, and this question came up, and one of the scripture references was Revelation chapter 19. And it shed huge light as I was reading this last letter that Paul was writing to Timothy. Um, and you might have heard in the, in the past months, I've been kind of going through some of the letters that those people in my life had been speaking into me all the years. So I've kind of got this in my mind, and that's why I wanted to go there. But I want you to listen to what this reading says. This is This is Revelation chapter 19, and I'm going to begin with verse 9. Excuse me, verse 6. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. And let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory. For the marriage of the lamb has come and the bride has made herself ready. So you know this. Who's the bride? The church. That's us. And then this is what grabbed me. It was granted her, the bride, to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. I just, I've got to confess, I, I'd never, if I'd read that, I didn't remember it. I'm, I'm not a good memory verse member, you know, but I will now. Let me say that again. The fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. Who are the saints? That's you. So I'm reading this letter again. I come back. I'm just like, this is just getting all up in me. Um, and if I'm reading it, I was so struck by how God poured out his grace on Paul, who the same grace was then poured out on Timothy, and on and on and on to all of us. A couple of things that Paul wrote at the end of that letter, and, and I know that you, you just can't wait to get home and read 2 Timothy and talk it out, right? Um, Listen to what he says towards the end. Um, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. And how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. This is in the end of chapter 3. And then in chapter 4, 
Paul writes this. Um, he said, um, excuse me, um, he's, yeah, yeah, chapter 4. Um, I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, and I have finished the race. Um, perhaps Paul's last letter that he wrote. What did he want to say to Timothy, to us? I want to give you three things, all right? First thing, resurrection is not an idle tale. You might know that, but I promise you, when you talk to other people, they don't quite grasp. what. When I'm talking resurrection, I'm talking about bodily physical resurrection that will place us eternally in the presence of God in body and not just spirit. Amen? Resurrection. You know, it's not like, and I just made this up, you know, when I'm driving down the road, I don't know if you're like this, and I pass, let's say, the flagmen who are saying, you know, we got work ahead. Um, you and I, do, I go like this. Y'all, any of you do that? Y'all wave to people. You pass another truck. You know, how you doing? Um, That's not how we're to approach resurrection. It's not just some little. It it is it. If there is no resurrection, there is no Christian faith. It is at the very heart. It It is the footing, if you will, of what Jesus Christ stands on and built his church on. It is resurrection. Paul opened his letter. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. This life is not the one he's going to live. He's at the very end of it. It is the life that he has eternally in resurrection. Resurrection is not an idle tale. If your faith is wavering, now obviously Timothy's was, um, dive into the resurrection. Believe that and you'll fan into flame. I promise you what God is trying to do. Resurrection. Paul goes on later on in verse, let's see, I think it's verse 9, and he says this. Um, because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave to us in Christ Jesus. Oh, excuse me, that's not it. Here it is. Yes, latter part of verse 10. Who abolished death and brought life and immortality to the light through the gospel. Do you hear that? Resurrection. So number one, quick tag, resurrection is not an idle tale. It is it. Romans 8, for I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor height, nor depth, nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. Second point. Timothy was fortunate to have the faith deposited into his life by first his grandmother Lois, then his mother Eunice, um, and then his spiritual father Paul. What a gift. Um, What a gift. The reality is some of us are like that. How many of us had parents and grandparents and friends deposit in our life. Um, I'm going to point you out, Karen. You said something to me the other day which changed it. You said this about your parents. My parents always gave me the opportunity to encounter Christ. That was amazing. Not only did they deposit it, but they never got in the way of giving me an opportunity to encounter Christ. How is the fine linens? What are the fine linens of the of the bride, us, the righteous deeds of the saints. Timothy was fortunate to have that. I also know that that's not true for all of us. Some of us have families that have just deposited huge amounts of brokenness, sadness, 
Some of us have had friends and companions who have betrayed us. And rather than leading us to become our best selves, the creating the image of God's selves, um, they become barriers to our life in Christ. I know that. However, I also knew this. All of us need to be reminded of what Paul wrote to Timothy at the beginning of verse 9. Let me read that to you. Christ saved us and called us. Who saved us? Christ saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace. All right? He called every one of us to be his bride, not because of our works, but because of his calling, his grace, um, and his purpose, which he gave to us in Christ Jesus. And then listen to this. Before the ages began. Isn't that amazing? Before the ages began. I just can't help but think of Psalm 139. Before I formed you in the womb, before a day of your life was written, I knew it all together. Christ did that. Second thing, we have saints who have deposited in our life. Some of haven't, but guess what? We have the body, and we can clothe one another um, in the fine linen. And unfortunately, we can also clothe one another in other stuff, can we not? Um, I shared with you guys last week, visiting with some family friends, um, and one of the things they shared with me was they've had friends of theirs who are Christians who have turned them away from the faith because of the anger and the resentment that they're holding. We, the body of Christ, can clothe one another both in righteous deeds as well as in unrighteous deeds. Um, That's a warning, I believe, that Paul gave to Timothy. Third point, with all of this said, um, Paul exhorts Timothy to fan in the flame the gift of God given to him. And he writes this, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. What is that? That's the body of believers. Um, Yes, perhaps ordination for Timothy, but I think just expand it a little bit more. It's a body of believers saying to one another, when we see the gift that God is working in you, this is something God is doing in you. And, and work, walk with them and fan the flame that God is doing in them. Um, that's the body of Christ. That's what we do. Um, I didn't read this at the, at the early service, um, and I've read it to you before. This is a letter that I received in 1985 by my pastor. And I just want to read the first thing he said. He said, Robert, by now, I'm sure you have had all the sermons you want, but you are due for one more. Your ordination uh, as a priest imposes on you three things that take priority over all else that your congregation and others may demand. And I'm just going to do the first one. First, you are to preach the gospel just as you have received it, Without any modifications or improvements, there is one criteria for every sermon ever preached. It's if the voice is majestic, the illustration striking, the gestures expressive, there's nothing wrong with these and there's good in them. But the one test of any good sermon is whether or not it proclaims the good news. Written to me in 1985. Guys, this is good news. That Christ saves us and he calls us to a holy calling, every single one of us that are here. And we clothe one another with the fine linen 
of the righteous acts of the deeds. When, when Mark is out in the community and someone finds out that he is a part of this church with me, that clothes me with his righteous deeds and vice versa. As you go out in the community and you make friends with people and they know you're friends with this person, your deeds clothe that person in righteousness or not. Amen? So this is my prayer as a bride of Christ, that we seek the Lord, the Spirit within us, and hear the last words Paul wrote to Timothy, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you.